Welcome to season six of my podcast. I'm violinist and composer Hannah Wilmer, and each week I will talk to you about a different subject to do with my life, my work, and what it's really like being a working musician and creative. Welcome to The Rosin Diaries. In today's episode, we're taking a deep dive into the history of violin technique and tracing its evolution over the centuries. From the early Baroque period to contemporary trends in classical music, we'll be exploring how different schools of playing have influenced the sound and style of the violin. So let's dive in. So our violin story really starts in the Baroque period, that's the 1600s to 1750. Um, in, in America I think you say 1600s but we always say like 17th century but that can be confusing the translation because many people think when you say 17th century you mean 1700s so I just put it like that so everyone we're all on the same page. <laughs> um, I think it's really important to know a bit about the culture of the period and I say that because as a violinist Baroque music is one of the first sort of adult or real or um, professional pieces you learn as a child as a student because it's a little bit more simple uh, um, it can be not all of it but they, there are more simple pieces in the Baroque time because that was the start of the violin journey but what I found was when I knew nothing about the Baroque period or even the time, it sounds very much far away from the music we listen to today. So I've come to love Baroque music so much more over the years since I'm just putting it into context of the society and knowing about the people of that time. Um, so it was during this period, the Baroque period, um, not Baroque, <laughs> it sounds like I say sometimes, but Baroque, which means misshapen pearl. It was during this time that the violin first emerged as a solo instrument during the Brock period. Brock, Brock, <laughs> Baroque. And the early playing style was characterized by ornate improvisational playing and a focus on virtuosity. But also it's worth pointing out that original violins and their bows were very different to the ones we see today. So what was considered virtuosic um, during the Baroque period has changed slightly since the shape of the violins changed. So the fingerboard, that's that black bit where um, violinists put their fingers to play the notes, the left hand, we put it on, you know like on a guitar where the frets are. Our violin version of that, the black bit, that's the fingerboard and that used to be like nailed down onto the instrument but over time the fingerboard was raised up which means our hand can get round to play higher notes and we can jump up and down and it also makes the violins louder. So stuff that was really tricky in the Baroque times has been made slightly easier with the change of that shape of the violin. And then also the bows, um, the ones you see today, to the naked eye, if you're not close to them, it looks like it's just a straight stick. It actually is concave, it curves down slightly which give, means we can do more techniques and bounce it around. The Baroque bow was convex. It was like a less protruding version of a bow and arrow bow. 
um, which meant it stayed on the string. It was a slightly different bounce to it. You could lift it off and stuff, but it didn't have quite the control of a modern one. So the techniques were slightly different. Um, a lot of it, but again, what was considered virtuosic was, and what was really beautiful about that period, is much of the playing was improvised. Like what was written on the sheet music was kind of like the broad brush strokes, the main tune, but you was expected to fiddle around and play around it a little bit like jazz. Um, and that's kind of sad about classical music that the further we get to modern classical music, the more precise the notes are on the page and how we're expected to stick to it. And it's kind of seen as almost stigma to not stick to the notes exactly. I, I like that sort of um, improvisational feel to it. Um, when I was a child and I first learnt Baroque music, I didn't know it was meant to be improvised. And often there's repeats in the music, you play the same thing twice. And the second time you're supposed to repeat it differently. However, if you do a music exam today as a, as a student, you still are not able to do those improvisations in um, structured music exams, only like at degree or at conservatoire and stuff, which is a shame, you'd be marked down. Um, so also I, I think like the playing of the time and the music that was interesting was very much reflective of the period as well, that misshapen pearl kind of thing. This is like Marie Antoinette's time, the kind of over-the-top wigs, um, and that's kind of what we're doing with our playing. It's very over the top, very ornate. And there's a degree of flexibility and ambiguity that isn't perhaps of any other time period. It's absolutely beautiful. And this period was dominated by greats like Antonio Vivaldi, who was virtuosic, um, whose virtuosic solos helped to establish the violin as a lead instrument. And it's worth noting, actually, when the violin first emerged, now people, when they say their child plays the violin, if you are oh, what a studious child, I often get that, you know, if you know me, <laughs> I'm a bit loud. But um, violinists are seen as studious, as dedicated. When the violin emerged in the Baroque period, it was louder, that and the organ, were the loudest things around and the violin was considered the devil's music and it took a long time before it could actually be performed in churches and Vivaldi was a composer for churches. Um, a lot of his music was church music and it was performed on Sundays in, in, at Italian churches but it's kind of nice to put that into perspective as what we see today is very standard was crazy loud. I mean, we're talking about a time where the loudest thing you'd hear is horses hooves on your deck. In a city, maybe you'd hear a lot more chatter and stuff, but outside of the city, in the burbs, like you could go a whole day without hearing anything apart from nature. And now we move to the classical era. This is a big era, I think, socially in Europe, but also musically. So this is 1750 to 1820. Um, Marie Antoinette's still alive. We start the period, like 1750, we're all about the wigs and the, the meat cakes. And by 1820, we're hitting Les Mis time. Not the music, I know, 
I know that wasn't composed until the 20th century, but I'm talking about fashion. I say the fashion because you, you've all seen a film or a musical and you can get it. So fashion-wise, starting very Marie Antoinette, ending the period, 1820, where it's all free-flowing, natural hair and the romantics. We go to the romantics next, but I, I've just literally given you a spoiler in the story, haven't I? <laughs> Um, so 1750s are huge culturally in Europe, and sorry I'm only talking about European culture for now, um, there's obviously worldwide culture and music, but the violin started life in, uh, the violin that we know, there's other stringed instruments, the violin we know was born out of Europe, and much of music in North America at this, well lots of culture in North America is based on European culture at this time, but I do believe there was a lot of subculture going on it's just it probably wasn't too documented classical music is a very documented kind of culture um so i, I think later on in the 20th century a lot more american folk music and a lot more of music of black origin from america north america was written down and made into classical music but we haven't got that far yet <laughs> They, you know, stuff that had been going on for centuries and traditions had started to get documented. So during this time, there's so much like industry going on. It's socially as well. In the Baroque period, it was aristocracy, church, and peasants, commoners. As as you know, like I know going on about the British class system, but I like it because it's pointless. <laughs> Just like America, we're basically based on money. But I love that the words are still there, but like very rarely used. So no one walks around going, I'm a commoner. But you know, commoners are anyone that is not aristocracy, which is the majority, probably about 90% of the population. It meant a lot more in Baroque times. Um, even for land ownership and stuff like that, the Baroque period, you had to work for someone. And as a musician, you had to work for someone. So you were working for the church, or you were working for a king or aristocracy. Um, but the classical period was the rise of the middle class and the merchant class and a lot more freedoms especially in cities um, it was the ri rise of the I always forget the word I had to have a moment to think so I paused it was the rise of the enlightenment which was about the idea of science and clean-cut lines and less frilliness and philosophy and things like that this is really reflected in the instruments that were created, the way the violin changed over this period, also the piano was created. And with the arrival of the classical era, playing style shifted away from the ornate. Improvisational playing to a more structured and controlled style. Um, this is what's documented however i do love the piano battles that went on through that period and they to an extent the violence did as well so you would be you would have patrons if you were a um a bit like patron today but you'd have one patron if you were a virtuoso player and they would get you to battle it out against the other one so uh, beethoven famously did it um, um later on but they would get their composer, pianist, composer, violinist to battle against another one. One would play something and then you have to take what they played and then improvise on it 
absolutely amazing but none of that's really documented and that wasn't what people went to concerts for that was kind of like in saloons and bars and stuff it's a bit down and dirty i want to bring back the piano battles to be honest that should be a tv show um this period was characterized by a focus on clarity and balance with an emphasis on tone quality and musicality the purity of mozart's lines his violin concertos are absolutely amazing there was still room for improvisation and that's in the cadenza so if you ever listen to a violin concerto normally first movement definitely play through the whole concerto it goes orchestra soloist orchestra soloist blah 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 at the end everyone stops even the conductor and the violinist just gets to go away and do whatever they want but growing up and learning the violin and not coming from a classical music background and not being told really my teachers gave me cadenzas of past players like famous players and I learned those and it was only when I started doing my degree I started to learn that I was able to make up these cadenzas myself which was absolutely amazing um so the big composers of the time Mozart Beethoven and Haydn Haydn I'm gonna say he was like the entrepreneur of musicianship he's the oldest of the three the earliest of the three he was around in the 1750s and this guy knew how to sell his music he knew how to get his worth he knew who his fans were and he'd sell original scores to him and everything and he'd be banging out his compositions for his patron that he was working under Mozart was the next one coming along a few years younger than Beethoven he was a child prodigy and his dad actually wrote a book about violin technique and his dad taught him and everything and Mozart always wanted to be he didn't want a patron he wanted to be a star he was the first child star that wasn't that successful he died almost penniless and everything but he was giving it a good go he was famous around Europe everyone knew who Mozart was he just couldn't earn enough money with that fame if he had instagram or tiktok he would honestly mozart would have been right up there he's only known today because after his death a lot of his fans and in particular his wife kept on pushing for his music to be remembered and played and he's such a famous composer today there's many contemporaries of his but they've been lost in history where his music's continued because of the people that loved his music and then finally beethoven his dad was a little bit of a drunk and many people say that his dad wanted him to saw the success of Mozart when he was young and wanted him to be the next Mozart. The key difference between these composers as a violinist, I would say Haydn is the king of the sonata and the concerto and everything we know about classical music today, and particularly violin music, he, he created that. Mozart is the king of epic epic music and just great melodies and like how did he do this and there's such a joy to mozart's music beethoven is the king of heartbreak <laughs> his violin concerto i mean there's some joy in there as well he wrote his violin concerto if you look at his letters he um he uh, was in love with someone and writing love letters at the time it didn't go anywhere unfortunately there's a spoiler but he was giving it a go He's quite an angry man, generally, but at this point in his life, he was quite happy. His concerto is much more difficult to play than any of Haydn's or Mozart's. The technique involved in Beethoven's, he was really pushing the barriers and boundaries of violin technique at the end of this period, and he takes us into the Romantic period as well, right up to, you know, the 1820s. 
So he, Beethoven is considered the guy that crossed us all over from um, classical to romantic. Um, but he's, yeah, that one violin concerto, if you play sonatas, quite angry. Feel, I feel a little bit like I need a, need a nice coffee after those. But <laughs> his concerto is just pure joy, and I recommend going to listen to that, or playing it if you're a violin player. Um, but mainly their music reflects the new aesthetic of that era, and particularly Beethoven, he reflects the change of that era. You're on the streets of Paris. It's 1850. And guess what? It's the Romantic period. <laughs> so the Romantic period little crossover here starts 1815, whereas classical ended 1820. It's 1815 to 1910. This is the period of Industrial Revolution. It's the period of revolution full stop from classical to the romantic we've had the french revolution and it's still bubbling away we've had through that time um the american war of independence there's been a lot of wars there's been a lot of upsets there's been a lot of deposing of royals in europe is a lot of revolution in there there's a lot of emotions running high i say industrial revolution things are being made things are being made um there's a lot more freedom there's a lot more cafe culture in London itself. Women had a bit more freedom. They could leave the home. Yay! Can you imagine it? <laughs> I want to go back to the day where I don't have to leave the home. No, I'm joking. <laughs> don't have to think about doing my makeup. Um, so all this is going on and it's reflected in the music and art and poetry and storylines. Overly dramatic. It's a very, very, very dramatic time. Um, the romantic era was era, era, era. I was somewhere between era and period, and that's what I got. Was marked by a return to more expressive playing and a greater emphasis on emotional expression. As a violinist, I'm going to say also it is the most difficult music so far because the composers often didn't think about um what it would be like to play their emotions their emotions were everywhere they were like teenagers until the end of their life and they expressed that through their instruments and that the instrument players have to learn how to do that jumping around from high notes to low notes things like so chords on the violin we can play two notes comfortably at the same time three notes four notes but you have to kind of spread them because the string you can't play them all at once. You have to kind of rumble across the string. But things for me as a little person, it's the first time you'll ever see a notes 12 notes apart, which is a big jump for my little left-hand fingers. That's a big, like, to play those two notes at once, I have to have my index finger pointing away from my nose, like when holding the violin, and outstretched. That's my index finger, so pointing away from me while holding the violin, and then my little finger pointing towards my nose, and then I have to relax the muscles in my hand and kind of overextend, but if you tense, you can't do it. So there are hours and hours and hours in the practice room learning that, a 12-note apart chord. Um, I, mean, I think the same for piano, when you think about Rachmaninoff. 
um, lots and lots of techniques. The more the instrument was developed, the more we had to learn as violins, <laughs> violinists. Um, so violinists of this period often used um, a lot of vibrato to add warmth and expressionness to their playing. Singers use vibrato, guitarists can a little bit, um, especially if they don't have frets. A lot of instruments can vibrato, or oh, brass can vibrato, especially if you've got a slide like a trombone. Vibrato has been used throughout. The vibrato actually changes. Um, this is, I haven't brought it up in the past periods actually, but vibrato, the um, In the same way, singing vibrato is of a period, isn't it? If you hear Snow White, Disney Snow White, her vibrato, as opposed to um, one of the later princesses, like Tangled or Frozen, completely different vibrato. And it's true of the violin as well, vibrato's come and go. It was seen as kind of just decoration in the Baroque times, just used once or twice, just as a really cool thing. In the classical period, people started using it a bit more, but Mozart's dad hated it. He said he hated people who vibrated on every note like they had palsy. That was in his violin manual. Um, but in the Romantic period, it got to heavy, heavy, every note vibrato. Um, and then later on, once we get to it, there's a different vibrato style as well. I actually favor start when it's a long note, starting it with no vibrato and then vibratoing into it. I really like that. But we have to learn every style of vibrato as a violinist so that if we're playing a piece that's baroque it's up to us how we do it but many of us may choose to do it in a way they would have done at the time um there's a greater focus on virtuosity and emotional depth as well yeah really getting out from those low notes sometimes what i call ugly playing you know like over hugh jackman ugly cries in les mis i quite like that when people like do ugly stuff within their singing for a reason not just because they sing like that and it's the same for violin. When I've done workshops in schools before, so like I go in for a day and work, like do masterclasses or workshops, I always tell when they make a wrong note, because people are very um, scared of making wrong notes on the violin because it sounds horrible and it's right by your ear. But I always say that it's not a wrong note, it's a correct sound. That sound is needed at some point in your playing career, just not at that point. So, you know, it wasn't wrong. Keep that in the bank. Remember how you did that. Um, so there's a lot of ugly G-string notes, like in the Brook Violin Concerto, and then there's lots of beautiful sobbing high stuff. It's absolutely beautiful, but the weird thing is, it's such an emotional, you know, like, I'm trying to, for what everyone can know of that's not violin, like Swan Lake, a lot of ballets, you know, like Nutcracker, um, 1812 Overture, um, all this kind of stuff, really emotional stuff. When you're playing in orchestra, the music is almost impossible, but you're not expected to play it like a soloist. When you play it as a soloist, every note has to be right. Um, and it takes hours and hours and hours of technical work before you even get to the emotions. And so you have to really come up with ways of practicing that doesn't deaden your emotions before you've even got to perform it with that emotion. But I suppose that's very similar to um, performing on West End and stuff where you you have to perform the same pieces twice a day and every one of those has to have emotional impact. You know, you just got to come up with this what being a pro is all about. You just find the ways as, and I suppose through training. Um, some of the most famous works for violin from this period include pieces like Tchaikovsky Violin Concerto, Brahms Violin Concerto and Sonatas and Vorjak Violin Concerto. 
sonata from Vorjak, but also my big favourites from the Romantic period, I'm going to say Sibelius, uh, lesser known to the general public, Sibelius Violin Concerto, that opening movement, I'm right there, I'm right there in a Scandinavian fjord, straight away with those opening notes, it's so ethereal. Um, Brook, overplayed, the Brook Violin Concerto, second movement, it is so overplayed, even in Brook's lifetime, that whenever you used to walk into a restaurant or anywhere, even a concert hall, people would see... Oh, by the way, if you can hear squeaks, I'm on a leather sofa. Um, if a musician saw him walk into the room, they would start playing that concerto, and so much so that he banned it from being played in his presence. <laughs> so, yeah, really good one, the Mendelssohn. And also, late... I mean, it's just on the cusp of this era. It's more into the modern. It's like romantic slash modern, but I love the Lark Ascending, which I will need to play on a virtual concert this year. Um, did I play? No, I didn't play it in Horndon. I'm being asked back to play in Horndon, so maybe I'll play it with piano in Horndon. Um, After 1910, we come to what is the sort of contemporary period of classical music. I think eventually the music will be broken up a bit more because like contemporary has gone over a hundred years now. It's quite a long period. Um, I think it will be broken up up until probably like 1950s or 60s and then then on to about now and perhaps there'll be a new period. But you can only really classify music as a period in retrospect known in the classical period and romantic time went oh look the year is 1815 time to change to romantic it's, it's historians that look back and classify it as a period um but we can bring in a lot more i mean it's very very diverse now so in the 20th century we have to start including the americas or north america into the equation but interestingly enough Vorjak from the romantic period travelled over to as he called it the, as it was called at the time the new world and he was a big promoter of native um, well not native that's wrong actually but American music as a culture unto itself it wouldn't be native American would it but American music as a culture to itself, as opposed to be like just stuff that is kind of in the European style, but classical music that comes from Americans that exist in the 1800s. Um, he very much liked music of black origin. He also liked jazz that was just kind of picking up at the time. Um, and the mishmash of multiple cultures coming together in America so he wrote quite a lot of music when he was there the most famous one the New World Symphony but he also wrote a musical postcard and sent it to his children when he was out there and it was called um, Sonatina and it had four movements to it because he had four children and each movement is at a it's violin and piano each movement was at a difficult different technical standard because his children were at different ages and technical standard and that's a piece really in the violin student repertoire because you play. I played the second movement at grade four 
and then um the third movement was like grade five or six or so you know they all go up and then the my final grade grade eight was the final movement so that's like a really interesting one um but it's really hard to characterize today's music um I'd say today's classical music scene is characterized by a diverse range of playing styles and techniques with many contemporary violinists drawing for inspiration from a variety of historical um, periods and that'd be like Alma Deutscher she was this like wunderkind she's just about 18 now I think but she's been around on the classical music scene since she was about 10 and she's been hailed as the new Mozart and she writes music in the classical period style and she's absolutely like the brain on this child she uh, wrote an opera called Cinderella I think um, but really really advanced for her age um, I haven't heard her music for a while she's 18 now I should really listen to that um, and there's quite a few that do it of the period but then there's quite a lot that give it a more contemporary style I'd say a big thing that's come through contemporary music is minimalist music which I sometimes do for my films uh, Max Richter would be an example of minimalist music or Philip Glass but there's so much to go on which is why I think we probably will break it down because minimalist music was not around in sort of 1920 that's a big latter half of the 20th century into the 21st century kind of thing um but some people really go into the virtuosity of the instrument a lot some of and there's the um, avant-garde style which is very very difficult to play but not so pleasing to the ears and then there's with the minimalist you'd say it's less technically challenging but it can be really moving Einaudi is a perfect example of that um but other people are exploring new approaches to playing such as using extended techniques and recording as part of the violin music so close mic where you can hear every click and scrape um that kind of thing and i that really really interests me actually and they're incorporating elements of contemporary music and exploring alternative forms of musical expression it's absolutely wonderful and there you have it a brief overview of the evolution of violin technique over the centuries from the ornate improvisational playing of the baroque period to the diverse range of playing styles we see today the violin has always been a versatile and expressive instrument I hope this episode has given you some insight into the rich history of the violin and if you love the podcast feel free to leave a review and maybe you'd like to support me by joining my Patreon community just follow the link Thank you for listening to season 6 of my podcast I'm Hannah Warmer and this is The Rosin Diaries <laughs>